Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. I cannot believe that we are on episode 26 because I was always that person who struggled with being consistent. I would start something and then a quarter way, yeah, not even halfway, a quarter way in, I'd convince myself that either I'm shit at it or that, you know, there's no point, it's not growing, and then I'd just stop and move on to the next thing. So that we're here 26 episodes later is amazing. I also started this podcast as a way to teach myself consistency. So that's why I made it weekly and not, say, every two weeks or every month because I wanted to consistently be dedicated to this thing. And honestly, it has helped it grow and helped you and I also grow into a bigger tribe, right? But where are my manners? I've not even said hello. (laughs) Just started rambling. Well, I hope you had a really great week. Whenever you're listening to this, I'm just sending you nothing but positive vibes because 2019 has been a hard year. We were just talking with my sisters and um, I mean, it's, it's been a hard year, but I call it a necessary year. Each one of us has had to go through certain experiences that have stretched us <laughs> forced us to ascend to a higher level of adulting man but you know i feel like you need those years every so often and there's no way around it so you just have to go through it and make sure you have like good support system and you have good coping mechanisms but yeah 2019 i am ready for christmas <laughs> Can we just, like, cut the year short this time around? Like, globally, we just agree. Hapa <laughs> to Mechoka. Let's just forget October, November, and jump straight into December. At the end of it, tough as it was, it's necessary. I learned a lot of things that I would not have learned if those tough circumstances and experiences were not there for me to go through. So it's not all doom and gloom. But last week, oh, my God. So last week, you know, I've been telling you, um, about perspective, my other podcast. So that one is every two to three months, depending on how long it'll take me to put it together. And ah, it's recorded in front of a live audience. So the second edition happened last week on Tuesday. Hey, have you ever woken up in the morning and just known my body is off, like my mental is off like you just know it's 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 almost like how you can wake up and know what's being made for breakfast like the smell that like i can just be like hmm, my anxiety is here it has arrived it is with me so monday night i spent the evening like reading about what was happening in south africa not necessarily in regards to the xenophobia but more so to the femicide and the rape and as you guys know i am a survivor of rape and so most of the times when i read about other rape stories i'm able to not let it trigger me but this time i don't know maybe it's because you know there were so many stories i mean there was one big story and then there were so many other stories of missing women and that was the last thing i was reading like intensely like going in and going in and opening all articles like just going in it's the last thing i read before i slept so i woke up on tuesday with a really 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 bad case of anxiety and i thought it was going to get better so i canceled everything that i needed to do 
during the day, like in terms of meetings, and focused only on the stuff for perspective. I needed to pick up the merchandise and organize that. And I was like, I'll just give myself time, hopefully by like 4 p.m. This, you know, will be done and I'll be feeling better. Wapi. I was stewing in some crazy anxiety. I started heading out um, at about 4 p.m. to the venue, which is not far from my house. I was just out of it. I, I really even wanted to cancel. It's just that we'd done an entire media tour. I had so many people chat to me saying they're coming. And I also knew how bad I would feel if I canceled it. So I was like, no, we have to see this through. Like, we'll just ride this wave. And the bad thing that I did, I didn't do any breathing exercises. I didn't open mind shift which is an app i use that helps me with my anxiety i just kind of let the anxiety stew and barbecue in me you know and yeah that didn't feel too good funny enough it's like no one <laughs> no one could notice it only like my really close friends and my husband obviously but i was just second guessing so i went through the entire show pretty well we recorded well it was a fantastic convo at the time i thought i was making so many mistakes i was just like why the heck would you say that that's so nonsensical like it was really bad in my head it was really bad in my head but the event was fantastic we had a super full house many more people than before the audience was you know connecting with the conversation and they were talking and it was really good but in my head i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god is that the right thing to say have i forgotten a point <laughs> it was like crazy in my head anyway so after it you know people are talking and they're like it was so good and I, do you know i was not believing any of those people i'm like who has sent these guys to lie to me about how brilliant it was <laughs> guys the mind is such a strong thing like oh <laughs> so anyway i got home that evening and just slept and the next day i had actually the next day funny enough universe or God works in mysterious ways. The meeting I was meant to have was pushed to, the, to Friday, so not Thursday. So Thursday, I had a day to just whoo, calm down. You know, I got the audio for the podcast because I'm the one who edits the audio. And I was just like, nope, I'm not ready to listen to it. I am going to critique myself too much. I just want to get out of this funk and then I'll be okay. And I edited the perspective episode on saturday morning and i was just like this is so interesting it's such a good conversation like <laughs> but yeah so this week was like two really polar opposite things a pretty successful perspective episode and a pretty shit anxiety attack that was whew, too much but anyway guys um if you battle with anxiety i've said this in other episodes the app that works for me <laughs> clearly i didn't use it this time but the app that works for me is mindshift and then and that's especially if you love journaling like it's it's really great and headspace headspace is also a really good app as well get the app try it if you don't like it uninstall i also got to hang out with my aunt one of my very close aunts so she and my late mom were cousins so their moms were sisters you get yeah 
So <laughs> it wasn't that thing. Like we did that. That's my aunt. That's my aunt. no. This one legit. There's blood. And you know, we always go to one of my favorite restaurants. We sit in the corner and we drink tons of cocktails and just talk about life. Her mom died last year, and so we connect on that front and we really talk about where we're at in terms of our grief. Okay, we also do like family gossip. <laughs> But once that is done, we focus on like, you know, where we are in terms of our grief. And it was interesting. At one point, we were talking about how the death of a loved one changes you. And I found myself voicing out these words. For those of you who don't know, I lost my mom seven years ago. And so I found myself in the middle of the conversation voicing that some of the things I do today and the person that I am today, I probably would not have been able to be that person if I didn't go through the experience of losing my mom. I'm like, it sounds so strange because if I could reverse her death, I would in a heartbeat, like I would pay whatever is needed to be paid to bring her back. But I was like, wow, I've never said that. I don't know how I got to that level of clarity to be able to look back on the person I was before and after and be like, okay, I can see certain good elements or good characteristics I've built. So my aunt tells me how the death of her mom changed her is right now. And obviously this is not immediately afterwards. This is like after a while and she's also in therapy, which is great. She said she's become more patient and she empathizes more with people, which I was like, that's really amazing. To be able to stop yourself from popping off on someone and trying to understand, okay, what could this person really be going through? And that was based on her because her mom was in hospital for a long time. Okay, so similar to um, my experience with my mom. But, you know, having to go to work when you've left your mom in ICU and maybe you snap at work and the person you're snapping at doesn't even know what's happening your backstory because also this is like a professional setting you don't have to be bringing your personal issues there but anyway so she was talking about how she's now more patient and she empathizes with people for me i feel like i am louder with my love and i don't know if that comes from a positive or negative space like if i love you you will know that i love you you will probably know every week <laughs> And why I say I don't know whether it comes from a good or bad place is because part of me is petrified of ever losing somebody I love again and more so them going without knowing that I love them. Um, And then also, I've just been... You know, this thing we do at funerals and people say all of these kind words and, you know, like really nice things about the person who's passed. And I'm like... I really hope you told that person those things when they were alive. So that's kind of where that one comes from. I'm also a bit less rigid with my life, like living my life and just knowing that my life doesn't have to be the way people say it should be because I'm really not sure how long I'm going to be here. Um, It's the one thing that we are short of. It's fucking scary. But it's inevitable. I just never want to waste my life. Like, for real, I just never want to waste my life. So coming from that conversation and going into the 100 African stories, I recorded a friend of mine, Sheila. Sheila was the first person who knew 
when Kiss FM was poaching me from One FM because she was in radio a long time ago and I called her, we had lunch in town, went to Steers. I think even that Steers has shut down. We went to Steers and we were just talking about the pros and cons of moving from the small radio station I was at to Kiss. And she really gave me guidance. And even before that, I remember her being um, an MC for one of my mom's breast cancer awareness gigs back in the day. I should look for those photos and embarrass her. <laughs> so I invited her to be on 100 African Stories. I wasn't sure what story she wanted to share. But it's funny that after she shared this particular story, I told her we need to talk more because we've been through a similar experience. The experience of losing, you know, someone you love to the permanence <laughs> that is death. A hundred African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Hey, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. Hi, I am Sheila Akinyi Wanjira Njuguna Rabala Caroline Rand because um, I'm the last born of seven. My mother, Jane Rabala, fell in love with someone when she was married to someone else and they had me. The dynamics of this is, if you're not Kenyan, you will not understand this, but my mother is Luo and she was married to a Luo. And what happens with marriage is things happen and they split. And she fell in love with a Kikuyu. So if you're Kenyan, you already understand the dynamics. But, uh, and we're talking about the 1980s. So it's really hot. So um, I came out. So welcome, Sheila Wanjera Njuguna. It didn't work out. But the man who she had had very many children with previously loved her so much that took her back and welcome Sheila Akinyi Rabala. So I am a Kikuyuluo drama. <laughs> <laughs> Just drama. Like that's how my life started. I feel like it was a precedent. Like this is how the rest of my life was going to be. You will never be normal. You'll be two sides of the coin at the same damn time. Fast forward, neither of those worked. So what did my mother do? She fell in love with a British man. <laughs> Welcome, Sheila Caroline Brand. <laughs> so now I am the daughter of a British man. He is beautiful. That's the only way I can describe him without crying. He loved me. I loved him. He was a Welsh guard. You know those guards you see at the front of Buckingham Palace with like a really tall black hat. Only he was in the pastry department. So I had this big, loving white man who loved to bake cakes. So he would bake cakes and I would wash dishes. So that relationship was a bit flawed. <laughs> so I was brand. How did my relationship shape with him? Because I was, not I was, I am tall. I am dark. I am skinny. So picture a plump white man with a tall, dark, skinny girl by his arm. And he called me little darling. So Kenyans didn't understand that he could be my father. So um, I was called Malaya. They thought I was his lover. 
So uh, we would go shopping. It really didn't help that he called me his little darling. But this is my Africa. Like, I this is where I grew up. I um I knew I was a Luo girl with a English stepfather, but I grew up in Nairobi. This is what I knew life was. This is the Africa I knew. That there was love between races. Like, it wasn't even love between races. This is just what I knew family was. It's until people made me understand that uh, there's a difference. That white don't love black. Like, I didn't... It wasn't... People made me feel that. To add salt into injury. He was a Freemason. (laughs) Oh, you don't have to be Kenyan to know Freemasons are devil worshippers. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know. And then which which school was Sheila going to? She was going to Nairobi Pentecostal Church Academy. Going to a Christian school. Your dad is a Freemason. All those Saturdays and Sundays that we would go to the lodge while he was meeting with his brothers and we were playing on the swings, I was told I was eating human remains. So I'm like, no... I'm pretty quite sure I was playing at the swings and I had chicken. And they're like, do you know what chicken looks like? I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know what chicken looks like. I was like a kid, but I feel like I I would know the difference between a human skull and a chicken bone. (sighs) That uh, made people move away from us um, because he was a Freemason. And he gave it up. He gave up Freemasonry just because he saw what it was doing to my family and to us kids. And uh, I will never forgive a few people for that because when you love something and it's your passion, if it's your passion, no one shouldn't impose themselves to make you leave what you love just to make them happy. I will never forgive. Fast forward... I told him to stop calling me little darling, especially because we moved to Kisumu. Hey, Lua men and white man, tall black woman in university. I had every Lua word for every dirty thing. One of my regrets, he's passed now, he passed. But one of my regrets is I told my dad, I don't want to be seen in public with him. That was hard. He um, hugged me. I think I hurt him, but I just couldn't take being called a prostitute in public because I was with my dad. I I got tired of shouting, he's my father, because no one would believe, because I was dark as ebony, and he was as pale as... (laughs) He was just pale. So I went to university, Masano University. I was very excited to go to university and because we are seven children, we were seven children. We were seven children. My mom was like, bye. Money, yeah, yeah, bye. There's no, you know the things you see in movies, the whole family comes in the car, hugs, love you. Oh, first day in university, I'm so happy and proud of you. Nah, my mom was like, I've sent six children to university, bye. So from Nairobi, traveled in a way, Pacey, again. If you know, you know my age now, so I'm not going to <laughs> go further on that. I climbed by way Pesi. Never been to Kisumu. I got to, uh, no, actually, because of family functions, we shall go. But I mean, on my own, university, 
I go and um, I reach the stage and next to me is my boyfriend who was totally useless. Ha! <laughs> and we, go, we get there and, and I have this, I always like carrying little bags. So I have this little bag on the bottom of like where I'm sitting and it has money, everything, everything, like everything. It was the small bag that if I had to leave my luggage, I could walk around the campus with this small bag and it had everything. And we reached Maseno and we are shuffled out so quickly. That small bag stays by hand. School fees, ID, papers, everything. First day of university. My parents have trusted me to go out on my own and I have brought my boyfriend, who they don't know about. So I saw death. So the first little car that came, some two guys, I'll never forget them. I stood in front like it's a Marvel movie. I'm just like, stop. And they stopped and I entered the car and I'm like, follow that car. And they didn't even, they didn't even question. Like the guy just followed them. And I go back to my seat and it's still there. And I took my papers and I signed in and everything went to plan. I was excited. It was new. Everyone, there was just an air of excitement. So I check in. And I ask where my room is, and they tell me where my room is, and I'm happy, and I go, and there's this chuma double-decker, and I'm confused. And then I open the window, and I see heels. I don't think people understand. If you've grown up in the city, and then you open a window and you see heels, I was so traumatized. I packed a bag and took another vehicle back to the city, Kisumu, and I remember very clearly, I looked for the busiest place and I found a bus stop. It was so busy. It reminded me of Nairobi. I felt at home. So I went, I looked around. I had my school fees, remnants. I didn't pay for the terms I was supposed to pay. I paid for like some. I had a few thousands. I went, I entered a place. I bought fries, chicken. I bought a quarter of vodka. And then I looked hotel. The first place I hotel. Asked for a room. I entered a room. And I slept. And I woke up and there was noise. There was Nairobi noise. There was busy. It was Nairobi noise. I stayed there for three days. And then <laughs> I realized I have to go back to university. So I went back to university and tried to figure out uh, what my course was. What am I doing? Because... Oh, this story is going to digress a lot of times. <laughs> because uh, two years <laughs> before, I had chosen biochemistry. I stayed in Tanzania for two years. And my sister was working at a Sheraton. And then I realized I love hotelier. So I came to Maseno and I changed my course to hoteliering for biochemistry. So I had to find out where hoteliers are. And they called itself Constec. I was waiting for hotel something something. So I remember walking past of constec and get like no that's not the one so eventually when i found out my best friend to this day this is 2003 we're 2019 my best friend of 16 years still remembers that day i walked into that class i was late by about half an hour i had a coffee cup and i had high heels <laughs> and a really short skirt <laughs> And all they had, because it was like an auditorium, all they had was pa, 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 pa. So 
literally the lecturer stops talking and they turn and there's this girl <laughs> props themselves in the back chair so i sat my best friend now was sitting next to me and her glasses were like multicolored and then at the frames that held with tape. so i kept looking at her like <laughs> wow woman 2003-2019 she is my best friend she will kill you before you hurt me I've always been skinny and tall. So Surazuri at that time, Kina Emato. Kina Emato were doing Face of Africa, but they were like smaller models. We were doing the smaller advertisement jobs. We were getting 12,000. And understand, in 2003, 12,000 shillings was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And there was no Instagram. There was no posting. So it was portfolios. And Surazuri was based in Gong Road. And I was in Maseno and we were using Motorola's. <laughs> so you just get a message telling you casting Saturday and the roads were bad. They were not like the way they are now. So the trip was ours. So it meant leaving Thursday night or Friday morning. So those lectures, you're not attending them. I would go to the bus stop, buy the ticket and start my journey to Nairobi. And by the time the casting was happening, I was there. And I was lucky to get a few jobs, enough to pay my fees. I didn't have to do help, enough to make my mom proud. The only reason this was happening is because, remember, my father was British. So the mindset in our household was very different. No African father, let's be honest, is going to allow you to do a bikini shoot and miss an exam. So the mindset in our family was very different. My dad used to call me long legs. He said, your legs were endless. So he understood that if I was called for a shoot, he would understand. Anyway, so I did university, I cleared. Okay, when I came out, you do internship, and I got Serena. But the head office, and people can read you. You know, sometimes when you can't read yourself, people can read you. The head office at Serena, I wanted to do Nairobi Serena bang in the middle of the CBD, busy. And this guy just said, no, your personality, we're going to send you to Mombasa. Send to Mombasa Serena. This fueled by when I was in Dar es Salaam, if I told you before I joined university, my love for food and working in Sheraton and seeing fresh seafood come to Serena. The kitchen in Mombasa Serena just amplified it. Like... It was another life. The first day I was given a task, I had no idea what it was. The chef looked at me, but he reprimanded me, but he also understood that he saw something in me and he just took me under his wing. So I did the whole kitchen. Don't underestimate chefs. They go through a lot. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was going through the different sections of the kitchen, you have to understand where a chapati is made, where a pastry is made, where a chicken hot dish is made. They're very different sections with their own different brigade. So I was taken to the butcher section, which is basically a freezer. And there's someone in there. It's like cold unit. And I had to debone about 100 chicken and some ducks. 
So I'm there with a sharp knife, just deboning, deboning, deboning. And my fingers were ice. So when I was done, and he said I was done, I was so proud of myself. The first thing I did is ran to the hot sink. And I put my fingers under the hot water. And I scrammed because it was so painful. And he came and he hit my chest to the point I moved back. And he kept tapping my fingers. And he's like, you cannot do that. And I was so confused, but my fingers felt better. And he was just rubbing my fingers. And he's like, you would have lost all your fingers. He saved my fingers. I would have had no fingers because that pain. So anyway, I um, finished that. And then I was moved to, when you do kitchen, like if you're doing management training, you go through all the sections of the hotel. So you do kitchen, accounting. I did not do accounting. (laughs) I just told them, by the way, I don't like numbers. So I told him, no, I'm not doing accounts. So from the kitchen, I went to service. Service is your waiter. And I would always talk to, I liked guests feeling comfortable. So I'd deliver the food, but I would still have a conversation. And I got a lot of friends, especially the older generation. I realized old people resonated with me because people tend to ignore old people. They think that they're in such a tight budget, they won't spend. But no, they're just like living their best lives. They're retired. They're coming to Africa. They're happy. I remember one week I made about $2,000 on tips. That's when the problem started. And um, people didn't like me being on service. The problems began because that um, the other staff, the people, and I will tell you, in the hotel industry who will never leave because they're so dependent on the tips. If every day they're given 20% lunchtime, 20% dinner, 10% breakfast, it's a percentage. Mm. And then when that guest is checking out, it's accumulated and you're given in dollars. So you have a salary and then you have the tips. And then you have someone like Sheila who comes in, who's just bubbly and enjoying life. So your tips start missing. That's when the problems began. So my dad, um, apparently from making my life hell because he was white uh, and calling me little darling, which made the pedophilia situation look very real. (laughs) He introduced me to food. We cooked together and uh, I washed the dishes. I hate him for that. He made me love food. He made me love darts. He was misunderstood because he was just white and a Freemason. And our last conversation, I was home with my daughter. The phone rang. He had been in hospital. He had water in his lungs. In his 90s, he was old. We knew it was coming, uh, but uh, he was strong. And then he called me. (laughs) he was struggling to breathe I could hear it and he was trying to be nice little darling I could use I could really use a stake and a task (laughs) I was like I'll cook you a steak because I cook a mean steak I can cook you a steak and the tasker will be cold. And he said, awesome. And he said he loved me. And I told him I loved him. And I told him if he promised me that he would get better, there would be many stakes and tuskers in his life. And he said, perfect. That's all I want. And we say goodbye. 
And I was happy. Fast forward. It's bugger fest. I'm with my ex-boyfriend now. Which is another twisted version of why I think I cannot let him go. Because he was there when it was such a big thing in my life. We were at Jay's. And someone sent me a WhatsApp message. That's how I knew my dad died. It's a WhatsApp message. You know how you get a WhatsApp message? I'm in the middle of a burger. Like, we're sitting here. We have beers and a burger. And I'm with my boyfriend. And I'm having a good time. I spoke to my dad last night. And then I got a message. And he's gone. I remember getting up. And I held his. And I told him, my dad is dead. And then I went to the parking lot. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't cry. I just didn't know what to do. So I was just standing there, staring at nothing. I didn't know what to do. I didn't cry. I didn't scream. I just stood there and felt nothing. So he came and he looked at me. And I remember we left the burgers. I'll never forget Burger Fest because the burgers were there. You know, buy one, get one free. So they were just burgers. And that stayed with me. Like, I associate my dad's death with burgers. They're just burgers. And they were beautiful. But they were just there and I didn't want them. And we were supposed to go separate ways after the burger. He had a function. And I I was going back home. But he's like, you're coming with me. And I went with him. And I just drank. It was a launch of beers. Like... Food is, I don't understand how food is always around me. So it's Burger Fest and now I'm at a launch of a beer at his friend's bar. So we're just drinking beer and I'm not crying still. I'm just there and I'm playing the role. When the friends come, I'm smiling and I'm, and then we went home. We slept. My dad was in the UK and I woke up and he, he looked at me and he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm all right. I'm just going to go to my house now. Like, thank you. Fine. And still had not shed a tear. And then I opened my house door, closed the door, and I I wailed. Once in my house, the pain. I wailed. My maid said um, she went to my daughter's room and held her. Because I told my maid my dad was sick. So when she heard it, she knew. She knew what has happened. She knew my daughter could hear me. So she just went and held my daughter and I, at the door, like literally at the door, I wailed and I slept at the door. I don't understand it. I could hold it together until in the comfort of my house, talking to my mom. She didn't know. The doctors told her. I'm so mad at him for this, but... At one point when my mom went home, he had asked for a DNR. Do not resuscitate. My mom didn't know. My mom is such a proper Kenyan woman. Yeah, she doesn't eat cafeteria food. But for some reason, that day, she was hungry and she went to the cafeteria. He had been told with an oxygen mask, he could get a week without oxygen and that's constant oxygen you have to understand like it's constant the mask it never comes off but without oxygen he had a few days he chose a few days and he called he called the people he loved that was my tasca and stick it was cremated so when i'm in the kitchen that's my time with my dad because um 
You come to my kitchen, there are very many British ingredients. What's <laughs> the and stuff like that. I experiment a lot with British cuisine. So if you come to my house, you will have your traditional Kenyan food, but there will be something very British. So yes, he's in the kitchen with me. That's why sometimes the concussions I come up with, <laughs> they're weird, but uh, no one has died yet. <laughs> At least I... <laughs> Disclaimer, fine print. <laughs> I don't think I've killed anyone yet. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. That was definitely one of the hardest 100 African stories to record. Also because I kept wanting to stop. And Sheila was like, no, I really want to just get it out there. And this is my truth. So I'm really proud of her for that. Because I feel like it takes an insane level of strength to be that in tune with your emotions and to even go to the dark spaces of your emotions. As soon as we were done with that, we I could feel like we were both much lighter. Even me, right? It really made me tap into my emotions during the recording and then afterwards feeling like, whew, much lighter. So I really hope it did the same to you, especially if you have lost someone close to you to death and you can feel free to chat about your reaction to this episode on our instagram page that's at legally clueless podcast also say a short prayer for this podcast because i'm working on taking it on the road yeah so that's really scary but really fun to be able to go to various corners of um kenya so I'm trying to get into various universities, go and record 100 African stories there. So cross all your fingers. <laughs> Pray fast. Kesha if you must. <laughs> so that it becomes as successful as I want it to be or as I can see it being in my head. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode. <laughs>